0: As we celebrate our theme uh, together again, our Bible reading today comes to us from Acts chapter 11. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 27 uh, through 30. to uh, read together. Right here in verse 27, it says these words, during this time. Alright, that's an important, important phrase, right? During this time. So contextually, we ought to know what's going on. It says during so let's uh let's back up a little bit here. During this time, if you look back to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Uh, there was a stoning of Stephen and then it says Acts chapter 8 verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Alright, so the church of Jesus Christ that was there in Jerusalem because of the persecution against them, they scattered. Alright, they scattered. And then it says if you jump back over to chapter 11 11:19 11, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word among the Jews All right and some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. So the message was going out, they scattered and they were talking to the Jews, but then also to the Greeks. And then it says, they're telling them the good news about Jesus Christ, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's the during this time. If you can put the map on the screen, I think right there you can see the map, and so what we're talking about is here is jerusalem right here and during the persecution it says they scattered okay so they all scattered you can recognize some of these towns ephesus up here you can hear uh, you can see pamphylia that's uh mentioned in the bible you can see they scattered to all these places in our bible right here is antioch so they're talking about antioch so they went up here to antioch and there they started talking to jews and to greeks and they began to believe And the church began to grow. And the church began to grow so much that during that time, some prophets, it said, during that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, all right? The ruler, the head of the church, was in Jerusalem at this time, and they're finding out that all of a sudden the word is spreading in Antioch, and so they're going down there to check out what's going on. They got to make sure that that people are, you know, we're believing in the right way. We got to make, this thing is growing and, man, we got to put our arms around it. And so it says they went down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That might strike you as a little odd because Antioch is north, Jerusalem is south. And normally we would say we went down from Antioch to Jerusalem or we went up from Jerusalem to Antioch. But remember where they lived, there was not so much about, north-south as it was about effort. And so if you had to go from from Jerusalem to Antioch, you walked down. Jerusalem is 2,575 feet, Antioch is like 2,000 feet. So you're going down to Antioch, which is why they say that. All right, in the same way in reverse, you always went up to Jerusalem, up to the temple of God. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Navy SEAL training, there is what is, in my mind, a very awful uh, training exercise, which is called Log PT. And in this training exercise, it involves probably a a log of about 250 pounds, uh, five to seven men, and a lot of swear words. Because the goal of this training exercise is to take the log and hold it above your head for two hours. So about 30 seconds into this exercise, Your arms are gonna start aching and then you realize you have another 119 minutes to go. This exercise has a purpose though. The purpose behind this exercise is to teach teamwork. It's to teach teamwork. Because no matter how awesome you think you are, no matter how muscular and built you think you are, no matter how wimpy you believe the other person is and not as good as you, You need everybody to hold that log above your head for two hours. You need the team. And what they discover in doing that teamwork is that together they can accomplish something pretty incredible. Together then as they head out into their mission, whatever it may be, if they work together, they can accomplish amazing things together. My arms are sore, Just, I wasn't even holding up a log. Uh, so that, what they do in the Navy SEAL training is exactly what we need to learn here as a church family. That we need each other. That we need one another as a team. Certainly we're not going in and we're not trying to hold a log above our head. We certainly don't have to go and uh, take down a terrorist leader. But we've been given, I would argue, a greater mission than that. And that we as God's people, the called out ones, the church of Jesus Christ, are called to look at this world and when we see brokenness in this world, and when we see hurt, and when we see the pain, and when we see this world moving in a direction that is opposite of the ways of God, We step into this world to make sure that this world reflects what God's will is on earth as it is in heaven. We step in to make an impact for God. We step in to bring the kingdom of God into this world, and the way that we do that is when we join arms, when we link together, and when we work as a team. Because when we work together as a team, as God created us to be, we can then bring that mission of God into this world. That's what we see happening here in our Bible reading this morning here uh, in Acts. It's played out amongst this early church as we see that this is God's design for his people. Luke records for us that that, a prophet stood up Agabus and he said there's going to be a severe famine that would spread over the entire Roman world. And then Luke records for us that this happened during the reign of Claudius. Claudius was emperor between 51 and 54 AD. The historical records that we have from the time of Claudius do not tell us, uh, tell us that there was not a worldwide famine that took place at this time. But what the records do tell us that in the whole of the Roman Empire during this time, from from Judea over to Rome, down to Africa, into Egypt, that there was a succession of bad harvests. There was a succession of food shortages. that just happened over again and again and again. So what it seemed like what was happening throughout the entire Roman world, that there was a great famine. People were going hungry. And it is recorded that this was the largest, the great famine was the largest that ever occurred in the Roman Empire during this time under Claudius. That's the historical record. Most likely, the cause of this was due to the fact that the Nile River was experiencing fluctuations. We know that the Nile River was a source of grain and a source of food, we see that in the story of Joseph, don't we, in the Old Testament? The famine came uh, out of Egypt. And so what we see uh, in Egypt is when the Nile River is low, there's no crops, right? Because there's no moisture, we understand that. But when the Nile River is high, when it reaches flood, it overfloods its banks, and then people cannot plant their crops. And they have to wait till it goes down, and then they do a late planting, and then the crops don't emerge. And what the records tell us at this time, during Claudius, in this period, that the Nile River was three feet higher than usual. It was flooding. And so between the floods in the Nile River, between the famines and drought that usually hit the area once every 20 years, between the war that was going on in Africa that we know at this time that interrupted the crop and and the flow of trade and all of that, we know that there was a serious famine and that this famine that Agabus stood up and predicted and said is happening, and Luke records during the time of Claudius, it did occur. It was there, it was present, and people were going hungry, especially the people in Judea. They were hungry. And so the record tells us that the the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So they decided, we need to help our brothers and sisters in Judea. Again, remember where these, these churches are, all right? So we have Jerusalem right down here. This is Jerusalem. But as I showed in the map earlier, they scattered. And so now the churches have grown up here, and they've grown around. This area is what's struggling with the famine, but up here, they're doing much better. And this is where the churches have spread to. And so the the churches up here, they said, let's go to these new churches. This is kind of amazing, because remember who they were made, made up of? Gentiles, the Greeks. And why did they have to leave Jerusalem? Because the Jews were pushing them out, right? They were getting pushed out, they were getting—they scattered. But now all of a sudden, there's a crisis among the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and these churches up here are now called to help them. They said, we need to help them. We need to create an offering. We need to gather some supplies for them. Because the prices, you could get grain, but the prices were much higher. During this time, again, the historians tell us that, uh, that a didrachma, uh, uh, if you wanted to spend a drachma to buy your grain, it would cost you six didrachmas to buy your grain. How about that? Now most of you are probably not very um, immersed in drachmas of the uh, day, right? So if you're buying a modius of grain, uh, actually what it meant was it was eight times. Eight times the price. So imagine walking down to Meijer today and you have to spend $20 for bread. For a loaf of bread, $20. You're buying a gallon of milk, $28 for a gallon of milk. Just imagine what kind of hunger might be amongst us, what kind of pain we might be feeling, and that's what's going on down here. So the churches up here said, well, we're going to take care of that. We'll help them. And that was, that was the call on their life. It says the disciples as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And so Paul, who was a missionary to those churches, makes that his mission to collect this offering, which is known as the Jerusalem Offering. And it runs throughout the entire New Testament, throughout Paul's letters, because they're all crafted, they're all written during this period. And so there's an undercurrent in a lot of the letters of this. We saw this in Galatians, as we read through Galatians. Galatians 2, if you have your Bibles open, you look at Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2, verse 10, Paul tells us right here in 2, verse 10, I'm going to start actually with verse 9, uh, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed pillars, all right, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, that we should go to those churches, to those places. And all they asked in verse 10 was that we should continue to remember the poor. And that's the very thing I I said I was eager to do. Who are the poor? The poor in Jerusalem who are experiencing the famine. They're saying when you go north, when you go to those churches, One of the things that you can do is remember the poor that is here. And Paul says, I'm going to we'll remember the poor. We'll we'll put our mind to that mission. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, Paul talks about this. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. What's the collection for? It's for the poor. It's for those who are hungry, for those who are in Jerusalem. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul is saying, I want you every day, every time, you, every week, take some of your money, set it aside, set it aside, set it aside. And then when I come, I'll be able to take what you have. Rather than getting a one-time offering, I'll have an offering that you guys have just worked together, that has been able to grow week after week after week. And Paul says, I want you to collect this offering. Set it aside. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 Paul is talking and he's bragging on the Macedonian churches. Why is he bragging on the Macedonian churches? He says in verse 8 verse 1, brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, and they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord to the Lord's people. It's about this offering in Jerusalem. You see, and look at the Macedonian churches. They didn't have much, they didn't have anything, but what did they do? They gave out of their poverty, and they wanted to help. They wanted to help, and so they gave. So here Paul is talking about that again. And then in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, Romans 15, Romans 15, 25. Paul tells these words uh, to us. He says, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For the Macedonia and Acacia, they were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it, uh, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and make sure that they have received this contribution, I will go on to Spain and visit you in the way. So Paul is receiving the offering. He says, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm taking this offering to those people. And as we finished up in, you see in Acts 21 verses 19 and 20, Acts 21, 19 and 20, Paul says these words. Paul says, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. What was that ministry? What did Paul greet them with? He greeted them with the offering. Remember it said earlier that Paul and Barnabas were gonna go with the offering. Paul now comes These years later, he comes with this offering, presents it to them, and when the pillars of the church heard this in verse 20, they praised God. They praised God. And I just want you to see this, this undercurrent of this historical event that's running through the Gospels and how the church is at work, how the church is there to meet this need. There was a great famine going on in Judea, and so could the 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 new Christian in Galatia could they take care of the people in Jerusalem by themselves? The little poor guy in Galatia, no. Could the could the little widow in Philippi? Could she take care of the hunger problem going on in Jerusalem? Mm, no, she couldn't do much about it. What about the what about the young family in Ephesus who are just going eking out a day to day living? Could they take care of the situation in Jerusalem? It would be probably not. But what would happen if all of them in the community of faith came together, set aside, gave what they had, resourced together? Could they come up with an offering? Could they come up with a way to help the hungry who were down in Jerusalem? And the answer, of course, is a resounding yes. They could. They could help. They could make a difference. And I want to. I want you to see that in the life of this early church, that this is God's design for his church. That God's people are given their time, they're given their talent, they're given their resources, and God calls them as his people, as his presence here on earth. That's who we are. That's the mission that he's given to the church. He says, I want you as my people to come together with what I put in your hands because there is no problem, there is no issue, there is nothing happening in this world that I haven't provided the resources for to take care of. And where did I put these resources? In my church. My church has them. And they're to be the presence, to be Christ's presence in the world today. So when there's a situation that is far from the kingdom of God, when there's hurt, when there's pain, when there's injustice, my church is resource to come together, to step in and to make an impact. To make an impact, a huge impact. That's who we are as the church, that we do this together. And when we do it together, man, we are far more impactful than what we could do on our own. I know for some of us, uh, camping season may be be winding down. And one of the the parts of camping season and uh, fire Making season that uh, I enjoy uh, are s'mores. I love, uh, I like s'mores. And you take the graham cracker, right, and the Hershey bar, and then the jet puff, right, it's got to be a jet puff, it can't be great value, got to be a jet puff, marshmallow, uh, to make the perfect s'more. I'm not, I'm not a fan of going with the Reese's, Reese's peanut butter cups either. I'm a, I'm a s'more purist, all right, and certainly Okay, maybe I'm shaming somebody here, If so I'm sorry. Um, Don't use the Keebler graham, the cookies covered with the fudge-stripe cookies to make your s'more. That's not a s'more, it's something completely different. But don't tell me that's a s'more. You need the graham cracker, you need the chocolate, and you're going to make a s'more. So imagine uh, I invite my my family over, I have my my wife, my daughter, Uh, I got my uh, Jordan, and, and Kenzie, and I invite my parents. And by the way, my parents have just celebrated 67 years of marriage. How about that? 67 years of marriage. And for that accomplishment, I'm making them a s'more. That's that's what I'm doing. So imagine I say, "Okay, Carol family, we're gonna we're gonna have s'mores today, and this is gonna be good." So here we go, Carol family. And I light that charcoal up. I say, "Come on, let's make our s'mores." And right now we're all looking and going, well, that's just really stupid, right? You need more charcoal, right? So I'm like, okay, all right, okay. Well, okay, Jordan, here's your piece. Mom and dad, here's your piece. And uh, Amy, you can have a piece too. And I have my piece. And all right, everybody, let's come on over and let's make our s'mores. This is going to be good. We would wait forever, right? We're going to wait forever. That little charcoal briquette by itself is probably not going to produce the s'more for me, is it? It's not going to make it. We get this. We get what I'm I'm driving at here, don't we? If I'm going to do this, what do I need to do with the charcoal? I need to put it together. We could light up the whole bag. We put it together, and then when I light it up, we have the flames. We have, I probably should clean my hands. We have the flames. We need the charcoal to come together. When it's by itself, when it's over here, it does absolutely nothing, right? It's just like a cold little briquette. But you throw that piece of charcoal with a whole bunch of other pieces of charcoal, and suddenly, as you see on the screen, you get something that will... That's not only going to cook us some more, that could cook a nice sized steak as well, right? That fire is going to be quite awesome. That, my friends, is an image of the church. That's God's design for the church. Yes, we may be individual pieces of charcoal, but by ourselves, we're not very powerful. But when we come together as a community, and we pool our resources, and we come together, we start cooking. We start cooking. We get on fire. And that's what I love about the church. Because I remember when God came and he gave us a vision, he said, you know what, I want you to bring, I want you to bring the gospel to the, to the children here in Walker. I'm like what? How are we ever going to bring the gospel to the children here in Walker? That's an impossibility. God, we can't do that. Yeah, you can come together. An Arts Camp began to form and emerge. And we offer Arts Camp where over 400 children come. And they've been coming for the last 10, 12 years. Multiply that, 4,000 children have been able to come here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because people came together and lit a fire with their skills and their talents and their abilities and their resources. And some people are teaching and some are leading crafts and some are just nurturing and loving on kids and nurses are caring for the cuts and bruises and we have people who are administrating and who are organizing. Other people are providing snacks and serving snacks. And the community of faith comes together and all of a sudden, boom, we can present the gospel to the children of this community. And I never felt stronger about this mission than I did this past year when we had a young, a beautiful young woman who went to Kennewales High School who took her life. She committed suicide. And what I found out was that The only exposure that she ever had to God was coming to our preschool, in our preschool who comes to our arts camp. And I pray that the message of Jesus Christ sunk into her heart and life. God says, Orchard Hill, I placed you on this hill. I want you to bring the gospel. And how do we do it? Not Bob just standing on the hill going, hey, come hear my witty story, watch my puppet. No, it's everybody coming together. God comes to Orchard Hill and he says, you know what, there's a homeless crisis in Grand Rapids. oh my goodness, what can we do about homelessness? We can't do anything about homelessness. And suddenly God stirs in the life of our church and we see people who have resources, who have building skills like me and Gene Veltema that come together. And we use them to start restoring homes, rebuilding homes walking alongside people, mentoring them on how to, how to own a home and what they need to do in a home. And, and now we've been able to restore like six or seven or how many? Eight homes for homeless people that have changed the life of those homes, where they've gone from no home ownership to now living in a home. Stability. Bringing the good news because that's what God wants for you. Could we do that individually? No. But when we put it together, we can do it. Next month will be We'll be collecting food because God comes and says, Orchard Hill, there are people who are in western Michigan who are hungry. They don't have as much food as you do. I want you to feed them because in my kingdom all would be fed. Well, God, how are we going to do I can't do that. But I start bringing my bag of food. You start bringing your bag of food. You bring your bag of food. You bring your bag of food. And pretty soon we are dropping off a truckload of food to Matthew's house that is feeding people who didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. We lit the fire because we come together. That's who we are. That's who God has called us to be. And when you step into the family of God, you are one of these briquettes with so much potential. You have been given so much potential by God. You've been given time. You've been given talents. You've been given resources and finances. And God doesn't say, here's what I want you to do in the life of my church family. I want you just to come every Sunday and sit right there. That's not God's design. That is not God's design for us. God's design for us is to be a people who live on mission, bringing his good news and bringing his hope into the world, and God says, I want you to take your time, I want you to take your talents, I want to take your abilities, and you add them to the fire, and you bring my kingdom to this world. That's what Jesus told us about in the parable of the stewards, he says, you all have a responsibility Whatever I've given you, you have a responsibility to use it for the kingdom of God. And so, yes, there's great fires coming out of Orchard Hill. I know this. I know that there are 700 people who call Orchard Hill their church home. I know that probably 300 before COVID would make it here weekly in worship. I know 50 percent of that is engaged in throwing their, their coals into the fire. I don't think that's enough. I think God is looking at Orchard Hill saying. there's my church. I placed them on this hill, and I got great things for that church to do. And I gave them 700 people. I gave them 700. Uh, resources, people just filled with resources, talents, and abilities to use to bring my kingdom out into this world. And I think God is saying, I got great things for you to do, Orchard Hill, but what's it going to take? it take all of us. Coming together, recognizing who we are and who we serve and the responsibility we have. Every year I have this conversation with the governing board when we assess where Orchard Hill is at. And my thing is, I just... I always say to them, I go, oh. I can begin to list all the things that God is bringing to us for Orchard Hill to make an impact, but the one thing we need is people. I don't know that all in our church have aligned their lives with God's purpose to seek first his kingdom to seek first his kingdom. And my first priority will be to use my gifts, my time, my talent, my treasures, and come together with a community of faith so we can light a fire and change this world for God. That's what God's calling us to do. That's who we are. And I think to just take your little coal and keep it over here, I'm sorry, friend, that's radical disobedience. You can't find that anywhere in the scriptures. And as your pastor, I'm telling you this, right? I'm telling you this, if you want to align your life with God's ways and God's purposes, it's not to be a little coal that's just sitting out here. You need to bring your coal, and you need to throw it into the fire, because this is who you are. God tells us in Ephesians, he says, you you are God's workmanship which means you were created by God, given all your talents, your abilities, your resources, seen by him, you were given, you are God's workmanship, you are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. To bring the kingdom of God in the world. Why did God create us? He created me to be a coal, just as he needs me, to do good works, that God prepared in advance for us to do. You were on the mind of God before you were even born. And he says, I'm going to place you in my community, Orchard Hill Church family, in the year 2021. I'm giving you just all the resources that you need for just this time, because there's gonna be situations, there's gonna be places that need to look more like my kingdom, and I'm gonna use you with your community to make a difference to make an impact. And so my question is quite simple for us today. As we come back together, will you choose to use your resources? Will you choose to use your time, your talent, your treasures, all that God has given you, to come together A to light a fire here on the hill so that this church can have an astonishing impact where everybody will be able then to point their finger and go, there's the presence of God. Will you join that mission? God, I wanna thank you for for the example of this early church who in difficult days where they were persecuted, uh, where they were without themselves, and yet God, they stood together as an example for us today. And God, may we hear Paul boasting about the Macedonian churches. May we hear him boasting about the believers in Antioch. And God, may we be inspired. May that, may that cloud of witnesses before us, God, uh, just uh, perk, perk our uh, abilities to do the same. And so, God, I ask that from this community of faith, that right now, your spirit would stir in each one of us, giving us a vision Uh, giving us just a stirring to want to serve you and with a vision of how to serve you. Because this is where we belong. We don't belong out in the world. You didn't create us to build big bank accounts. You didn't build us to uh, be the most popular. You made us to serve you and to serve your kingdom. So God, as we Think of who you made us to be. We may have been out there being lost, being caught in the ways of the world, and I ask in this morning how that you would turn us around, and that we would hear your voice calling us, calling us home. That you would, that we would hear your voice. That just says, seek first, come and serve me, because there's no better place that we can be than to follow the example of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life to serve others. And God, that's what we do. In this household of faith that's who we are in this household of faith and so in this morning hour god we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have turned towards the things of this world adapted uh, our hearts and our mission to the things of this world and i just ask that in this morning hour and that in this time we would hear your gentle voice just calling us to come home